We are starting a new sermon series uh, today, and it's a three-week sermon series called Walking Dead. And I'm a big fan of the genre called dystopian. Does anybody know what a dystopian genre is? So think of like utopia. Uh, Utopia is a perfect world. Everybody gets along. Everybody has everything they need. Um, And there's lots of unicorns and rainbows and utopia, right? Everything's perfect the way way it is. Uh, a, A dystopia is the opposite of that is when things are not going good, when things, um, when people don't have the resources that they need, when there's lots of violence, things are not going good. And interestingly enough, uh, dystopians become more popular in, in a period of time where the, the, the populace is concerned about what's going on. And so the uh, last several years, dystopians have become really, really popular. And I know some of you are familiar with different dystopians. Uh, For example, um, if you've heard of or read the book uh, 1984 by George Orwell, have you ever heard of that book? Um, 1984 by George Orwell or an older one, and I think this is the first dystopian I had ever seen. Uh, I watched it with my dad uh, on VHS. Okay, I'm not, I didn't see it in theaters, Uh, but um, the Planet of the Apes. Anybody ever seen Planet of the Apes? Uh, More recently, uh, the book of Eli would be an example of one, or one that really hit the mainstream uh, was Hunger Games. Anybody see Hunger Games? And I think with, with what I enjoy about the dystopian genre is that it really makes you think about your ethics, about what you really believe when the rubber meets the road, okay? It's, it's easy to come and donate uh, school supplies when you have... The, the money and the means to be able to do that. It's hard when it, it's either I can give my own kid school supplies or I can give somebody else's kid school supplies. That's when, it, that's when it gets difficult, right? Or what dystopians do is they create, they create this world and there's always a different cause uh, for the reason why the world is the, the, in the bad state that it is. Uh, but for example, say, say that... Um, you know, there's no power anymore. The power grid goes, goes out and everything's really bad and whatever, whatever bad thing has taken over the world. And uh, we can donate to Backpack Buddies, but what if it's, we make the decision of either I can give this food to a stranger or I can food, feed my family for another day, right? That's what, I, that's what I really like about the genre is that it really makes you think about your ethics when the rubber meets the road. So today... Uh, we're thinking about this, this theme of Walking Dead, which is another very popular uh, dystopian. It's a television show called The Walking Dead. And a lot of it is actually filmed here in Georgia, uh, right around our area, which is, I think, really neat. And the cause for this dystopian is that zombies have taken over the world. Zombies. Sound pretty weird, right? Sounds uh, maybe a little outlandish. Uh, but does it really? It really outlandish. Let me, let me explain. So here's the definition of zombie. And we're going to put this up on the screen. A person or reanimated corpse that has turned into a creature capable of movement, but not of rational thought, which feeds on human flesh. Okay? Pretty weird, right? Well, I would argue that zomb- uh, a zombie is actually described in the Bible. So go ahead and take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Ezekiel. 
Some of you know what passage I'm going to be looking at. Ezekiel chapter 37. And this, is, this passage is the theme for each of these three weeks for the sermon series. This is kind of the, the main passage where we get this idea. Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to read verse 1 through 9. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 9. The Lord's power overcame me. And while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and sent me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led me through them all around, and I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry. He asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I'm about to put breath in you and you will live again. I'll put sinews on you, place flesh on you and cover you with skin. Then I will put breath in you and you will come to life. You will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded, and there was a great noise as I was prophesying, then a great quaking, and the bones, came together, the bones came together, bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them, the flesh appeared, and they were covered over with skin, but there was were, there were still no breath in them. That's a zombie right there. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, human one, say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come from the four winds, breathe, breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. The word of God for the people of God. So when we look at this passage, the emphasis there is there's still no breath. In verse 8, there's still no breath in these, in these, in these beings. There's still no breath in them. And the, they look like people, uh, but they're not alive. They're not living, Right? The Hebrew word for breath, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek, the, Old Te- the Hebrew word here in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, for, that's translated here as breath, is ruach. Everybody say ruach. You're a bunch of Hebrew scholars. Look at you. And think of, think of that, that word as breath, okay? Breath. Uh, ruach can be translated, is typically translated one of three ways, either as breath, wind, or spirit. Okay, it's like the life force of a person. Breath, wind, or spirit. And think of these phrases of, um, I'm out of breath. Okay, if you go and work out really hard, you walk up a bunch of hard steps and, and you're like out of breath, I'm out of breath. Or that knocked the wind out of me. Or they are in low spirits. All those things that kind of communicate the same idea. But I'm afraid that some of us are like this, that we wake up, we eat, we drive, we go to work, uh, but we're not really living. We're like zombies, walking dead. Here's a question for you. Is there something in your life that is sucking the life out of you? Is there something in your life that's causing you not to live? And... From my experience, uh, from, from meeting with people, working with students, working with adults, talking with them, I, I see three areas uh, that I often see that suck the life out of people, that make them act 
like zombies. And it's this, where life is stolen from them. Uh, the first one is what we're talking about today is the love of money. The second one that we're going to be talking about next week, broken relationships. And to wrap up the series, lack of purpose. Three things that I see that suck the life out of people. And the passage that we're going to be looking at today uh, that discusses the idea of love of money is found in the book of Matthew chapter 19. So you want to go ahead and turn there with me. Matthew chapter 19. We're looking at verse 16 through 22. Matthew chapter 19, 16 through 22. 19, verse 16. A man approached him and said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? This guy wants to know, okay, what... How do I get the golden ticket, right? What do I need to do to get to heaven and have eternal life? What do I need to get the golden ticket? Jesus said, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. So he says, hey, you have, you have the first five books of the Bible. Uh, you know, follow what that says. Well, the guy wants to be a little more specific, right? He's like, oh, I, I, you know, I might not necessarily want to do all those. But he says, the man said, which one? Verse 18. Then Jesus said, don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false, false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the man replied, I've kept all these things. What am I still missing? And it's interesting, Right? Because he says, what do I need to do to get to heaven? What do I need to do to uh, have eternal life? And that idea of eternal life, it's life now, like in this moment, right now, right this second, and life that continues on, right? And so this man keeps on asking Jesus, what, what do I need to do? Well, follow commandments. Well, I follow commandments, but I don't, have, I don't have life now. Okay, well, which ones? Well, Jesus lets him off. He says, I already do that. But I'm, what am I missing? Because he's not living. He's not having life now. Jesus said, if you want to be complete, go. Sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away saddened because he had many possessions. If you're going to summarize this whole message into one short little sentence, it would be this. The key idea is that life is stolen from us when our possessions possess us. Another way to put it is, do you own your possessions or do your possessions own you? What is holding hostage the joy in your life? It's really interesting. This whole passage is really interesting because why doesn't Jesus try to make a deal with this young man? Why doesn't he try to, you know, Change things. He doesn't say, why doesn't he say, he could have said, hey, your faith is a journey. Just start giving some away now and we'll work on the rest later. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, he could have said, uh, don't worry about it. I'll be happy if you just give away one of your extra coats. But he doesn't say that. What do you think about the fact that Jesus let this man go without a fight? What is it about money that's so hard for us to let go of? Can money buy happiness? Yes, it can. Money can buy happiness. It absolutely can. Uh, I think of my son, Benaiah, who um, my, my 
my mom and dad, they called us up several months ago and said, hey, um, Benaiah's birthday's coming up. What would he like for his birthday? So we, he's, he's four now, so he was three. So we asked my three-year-old son, Benaiah, what would, you like, what would you like for your birthday? It's always really interesting to see what they say, right? And this is what he said. He wanted Miss Fritter Legos. And uh, one of his favorite movies is Cars 3, so the Cars franchise. That was the first movie he had ever seen in theaters was Cars 3. And in Cars 3, there's a school bus who on the weekends participates in a demolition derby, right? And he was at the store with us sometime, and he saw this very small, it's this big, the small Lego version of Miss Fritter, all right, and that little bus's name is called Miss Fritter. And so he wanted Miss Fritter Legos. Whenever we asked him, Benaiah, what do you want for your birthday? Miss Fritter Legos, right? And so, of course, what did grandma and grandpa do? They got him Miss Fritter Legos, right? And when he opened it up, when he opened up that package, he was very happy to receive that. And do you know where he keeps Miss Fritter Legos? He keeps it on the dresser in his room, on the back of the dresser, so his three-year-old, uh, his little sister, uh, his two-year-old sister can't, can't reach it, right? That's where, that's where he keeps it, right? Because he loves, he likes his, he's very happy with Miss Fritter Legos. You can't tell me that money cannot buy happiness, because it can. Last week, we saw in the video, I was surprised, I was blessed to be able to receive a brand new guitar. And not just, uh, it wasn't a guitar that was of equal value to the one that uh, had been broken. It was a nicer guitar than that. It cost more money than my other guitar. And you can't tell me that I'm not happy to have that guitar. I'm very happy to have that guitar. Think of it though this way is, how much would it cost a year for you to be happy? How much would it cost a year for you to be happy? And if you think of it as your, your day-to-day kind of resources of, you, you're probably not going to be happy if you can't afford your rent payment or if you can't afford your mortgage payment. You're not going to be happy if the cupboard's always empty, right? You're not going to be happy if you don't have reliable transportation. Um, you're not going to be happy if you can never go out and do anything fun. So what would it cost, right? So uh, Gallup Research, they took a poll, and they surveyed people based on how much money they made a year and uh, rated and asked them what their level of happiness was, okay? So it was the idea of, you know, of being able to afford your mortgage payment or uh, be able to afford your rent, be able to have a reliable transportation, all these things, right? In Metro Atlanta, the amount of money that people were the happiest, so they who made more than that amount did not have any measurable increase in happiness. You know what that number was? $42,000 a year. $42,000 a year. That's it. For some of you, you may be like, wow, that's a lot of money because you, you make or had made less than that. For some of you, your combined household income is, is way above that, right? $42,000 a year. Why? Because with that in our area, you can have, you can make, you can live in, you can have air conditioning, right? You can have a, a house, um, a, a very modest house. You can have reliable transportation. You can have those things. But anybody who made anything more than that, $50,000, $60,000, $100,000, $200,000, a million dollars a year, 
their amount of happiness did not increase past $42,000 a year. Past that, more money did not equate to more happiness. Did you know that most families are living from paycheck to paycheck regardless of their income? Whether they make $100,000 a year or $30,000 a year, most families live from paycheck to paycheck regardless of the income. According to a survey done by CareerBuilder, 78% of full-time workers said they live from paycheck to paycheck because the more money you make, the more money you spend, right? Money can buy happiness, but happiness is temporary. The word happy and the word joy are not the same. A lot of times we use those interchangeably, but they're completely different. Happiness is temporary contentment, but joy is lasting contentment, and money cannot buy joy. There's no joy in being in debt up to your eyeballs. There is joy when you live within your means, but it means sacrificing some happiness along the way. Jesus does not offer his disciples happiness. He offers them joy. That is why joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. But joy comes at a great cost. You must be willing to trade your zombie life for a life that is transformed and renewed by the Spirit. I want everybody to take their hands. I see some of you nodding off. It's okay. Um, I want you to take your hands. I want you to place them in front of you. One hand. Go and place just one. Yeah, good job. All right, go ahead and place your hand in front of you. All right. And I want us to do this. I want you to take your hand in front of you, and I want you to make a fist like this. And I want you to squeeze that fist hard, okay, as hard as you can, till it hurts, till your knuckles are white, okay? I want you to make that fist, right? Okay. Now what I want you to do is I want you to let it go like this. And I want you to have an open hand, all right? What is your posture regarding what God has blessed you with towards God? So God has blessed you with a home. God has blessed you with finances. God has blessed you with a bunch of different kinds of resources. What is your posture towards God with what God has blessed you with? Is it that clenched fist or is it that letting go? I tell you what, if you hold that clenched fist long enough, when you let go like that, it feels good, right? What is your posture? It's not a sin to be rich. Money is not the root of evil. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. I think of, what, are your, what is your posture? I think of two separate families at our church. I think these are amazing stories. Is there's this one family, they bought a boat. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, something at a garage sale. It was a nice boat, like a really nice boat. And I don't know if you know this or not, but boats, they're expensive, okay? They bought this really, really nice boat. And right after they got this boat, not too long after they got this boat, I was up uh, at, at the lake where they have this boat with our middle school students. And I got a message saying, hey, I hear you're, you're up here at the lake. I would like to take your middle school students on a ride around the lake with this boat. And I was like, wow, that's really generous to you. That's, that's, that's really great. And so we got our middle school students. We get there on the boat. We're driving around. And then do you know what the owner of that boat did? He looked at the middle school students and said this, would you like to drive it? And he let every single one of those middle school students 
drive his really nice, expensive boat, right? He showed him how to work the controls. He showed him how to steer it. He was right there with him the whole time, being safe and responsible with it. But I think that shows a posture of towards God of what God has blessed you with. I think it's a, a posture of open hand. And think of another family that has a beautiful lake house, beautiful lake house. And uh, on a regular basis, every year since I've been here, we take middle schoolers and high schools up there for retreats, uh, for uh, times to debrief, uh, for the senior send-off, for a bunch of different things, right? And it's, it's, it's a really nice lake house. Imagine this. Imagine if you had the means to build your dream house on the lake, right? Would you then be willing to let a bunch of middle schoolers, a bunch of high schoolers, 5, 10, 15, 20, come and stay there? Not only do they allow us to do that, but I remember my first, my first year here, uh, the owners, they kept on asking me, hey, you can bring them up to our lake house. Hey, you can bring them up to our lake house. I wasn't, I wasn't going after them. They were offering it to us. What is your posture towards God with what God has blessed you with? Is it a closed fist of, no, this is mine. I own this. Or is it, no, God, you've blessed me with it and may you use it for your will. What is your posture? John chapter 10 Verse 10, Jesus says this. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so they could have life, indeed, so they could live life to the fullest. The fullness of life, joy, is only found in the way of Jesus. Don't let your belongings own you. Give them up to God. Use your resources as a tool. Hold what God has given you, not with a clenched fist, but with an open hand. I think of a really practical way of how do we go about doing this. And sometimes when it comes to finances, not all of us received either really great training as, as, as kids growing up when it comes to how to manage your finances. Sometimes we just have to navigate that all by ourselves, and it can be uh, really really intimidating, and sometimes we can, we can um, get the life sucked out of us uh, unintentionally when it comes to the way we manage our finances. But uh, something I want to share real, real quick is Dave Ramsey's seven baby steps. So if you find yourself in a really difficult financial situation, if you find yourself in a lot of debt, or if um, you're just not able to kind of make those ends meet, I really encourage you to, to look at this. So it's Dave Ramsey's seven baby steps. They're this, and this is great I mean, I tell you what, uh, this is a great thing to teach your, your children, your grandchildren, like to raise them up with this kind of mentality. This, this sets them up for not being able to um, have money stress them out uh, for the rest of their life. The first one is save $1,000 for your starter emergency fund, okay? Why? Because life happens. Uh, because people get, we get flat tires or we, we blow a radiator hose or um, the air conditioning goes out, whatever it might be, right? So that's a great way to not initially start getting into debt, but save $1,000 for your starter emergency fund. That's step number one. These are in order too. Number two is pay off all debt except for the house. Two, pay off all debt. So say you have a bunch of credit card 
credit card bills, you have a lot of credit card debt, say you have student loans, you have a mortgage, you have all those things. It's like, well, which do I pay off first? What Dave Ramsey calls is the debt snowball. So what you do is which of those payments is the smallest amount? Say you have a a $200 credit card uh, balance, and on the different credit card, you have a a $1,000 credit card balance. On another one, you have $15,000 of credit card. So what you do is you take the smallest one, you pay that off first, and then you take that monthly payment, what you're paying towards that, and you snowball it into paying in, into the next, the next smallest one, and you work your way up towards that. So the second one is called a debt snowball. The second one is pay off all debt. Third step is save three to six months of expenses in a fully funded emergency fund. So when you look at your budget of how much, um, how much do we need for groceries every month, how much is our utility bill, um, how much uh, are these... You think of, okay, how much do we spend a month for those things? Multiply that by three to six times. And then, so your, your initial $1,000 for your start emergency fund grows into three to six months of expenses on a fully funded emergency fund, okay? Fully funded. So that way... If work says, hey, we appreciate years, years of service, we're going in a different direction, direction. we're going to have to lay you off. Um, we live, uh, right now, the economy is the best that it's, it's been in a very long time, and so there's kind of no excuses not to, not to do these things, but with every great, whenever the economy goes up, eventually it, it's going to go down slightly, right? And so with that, of uh, being able to save three to six months of expenses in a fully funded emergency fund. Number four, is invest 15, 1-5, 15% of your household income into retirement, okay? Going next, number five is save for your children's college fund. Uh, number six is pay off your home early. And number seven, build wealth and give. I think those are um, some really practical things for you to do. Um, another two is if you're like, this is all new information to me, I want to be able to um, learn more about this. I want to um, dive into this deeper. Uh, at our church, we have a financial, financial Peace University that just started this past Wednesday. And uh, we'd love for you to attend that if you haven't already signed up or if you haven't already been through it. Lots of you have already been through it. Um, and I hope that you're passing it on to next generations and encouraging others that maybe haven't gone through it uh, to do these things because mismanagement of finances, whether you did it intentionally or unintentionally, that can suck the life out of you, right? Absolutely. I want to end with this. It is on our uh, first mission trip to Guatemala three years ago. Uh, what we do at the end of all of our mission trips with our student ministries is they go through a process where they, they summarize what God taught them during that trip into one sentence. Okay, into one sentence. And this is what Samantha wrote on her first trip to Guatemala. She wrote, On my trip to Guatemala, I learned that you can have close to nothing, but by believing and trusting in God, it can make you feel like you have everything. That's a a girl that just finished her freshman year of high school. I think that shows a lot of maturity, right? Uh, Don't let the way you use money turn you into a zombie. Don't let it suck the life out of you because life is too good not to live. Amen? Amen. Please pray with me. 
God, we thank you for the freedom that you offer us. The freedom to have the things removed from our life that are sucking the very life out of us. God, may you show us what is stealing our joy. God, it might not be finances. It might not be the love of money. It might not be broken relationships. It not be, might not be from a lack of purpose. It might be something else, God. May you show us what is draining the life out of us. May we be willing to give up the instant gratification of happiness for the eternal joy that you and you alone offer us. May we approach you with an appreciation of what you have given us and with an open hand. May we be able to have that peace that only you give us that surpasses all understanding and be able to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.